when we are doing the will of our true self, we are inevitably doing the will of the universe. In magic, these are seen as indistinguishable, that every human soul is in fact one human soul. It is the soul of the universe itself, and as long as you are doing the will of the universe, then it is impossible to do anything wrong. In this podcast, we will journey through the investigation and application of metaphysical means to enhance and inspire what I consider to be the great unifying purpose of our short human existence, the creative process. And it's my intention to learn and reveal exercises that ex-hex those inner oppressive thought patterns, as well as exorcising those lurking psychic vampires. So join me as I consort the unseen as means for getting the fuck out of creative stagnation. Stagnation that bewitches each and all of us, artists or not. In this episode, we discuss Sadaude. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Anyways, it's a Portuguese term that, according to Wikipedia, is a deep emotional state of nostalgic or profound melancholic longing for an absent something or someone that one loves. Moreover, it often carries a repressed knowledge that the object of longing might never return. And our guest today on this episode of the Prag Magic Cast is Mr. Gabriel Hart, and he believes Sadaude is the essence of the creative process. You might know Hart to be the main reveler in the neo-noir rock and roll gang known as Jail Weddings. And he chats with me, Revel Raz, about his journey into the high deserts of California from his Echo Park days and the writing that has been pouring out of him ever since. His new novelette, Nothing to See Here, is another entry into his anti-tourism propaganda, and it follows the follies of Connor and Luna and blurs the lines between fact and fiction. Not only have I been a fan of his music for over a decade, his writings have proven to be another inspirational addition to the folklore of an artist. So slither here, the weirdos and witches, and let's dive deep into the noir universe of Mr. Gabriel Hart. Thank you 
so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. yeah, of course. Hopefully I'm not taking too much of your already crazy busy uh, life. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's Sunday evening. Everything's, everything's coming to a standstill. Yeah, which I'm sure uh, to get to uh, your move uh, to the high desert. Uh, but first, I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions uh, from personal uh, questions I've had about you over the years and your process, uh, specifically uh-huh. with jail weddings. Like, how the hell did you corral like 15 people at one time to tour and to record and rehearse? Well, the the I was pretty I was pretty fortunate. I mean, it was it was. Um, I kind of wiped the whole slate clean with the starvations and, you know, all this, all this stuff was kind of converging in my life where I could just kind of, I'm, I was just thinking like, I want to do something completely audacious. And, um, I kind of cherry picked, you know, I wanted to make like a, a punk version of like the wall of sound thing. And totally. I kind of cherry in order, in order to, I guess, um, achieve the kind of, you know, the kind of gang, concept i at first i kind of cherry picked i mean i know a lot of talented people but i also wanted it to be kind of a, a threatening presence <laughs> that that way it would kind of be like a gang to where it would it wouldn't just be like the music we were playing it would be the sort of um shoulder to kind of lean on and 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 fight fight with you know what i mean it kind totally of was yeah brother, brothers and sisters in arms kind of thing like us against the world kind yeah. of thing so i wanted it to be something more than than the music and i i really got that um i kind of had to in order to achieve that though i kind of had to pick some of the gnarliest people i knew <laughs> you know what i mean like some of just just so we could have the sort of um sort of orchestrated reputation that might precede ourselves and it did so so what ended up happening it was really it was really organic the way the the cohesiveness happened because it ended up being, yeah, this kind of gang mentality and all, but so it self-policed itself because it self-policed itself by, by way of fear because nobody, nobody wanted to be the one that was late to practice or, or, um, or, or causing trouble because they would have a nine person lynch mob on their ass like immediately. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, and, and and I'm I'm not exaggerating. I mean, I kind of shiver when I when I um when I think of those early those early days. It was really it was re- like every day was kind of kind of judgment day, but not not really. It was more fun than anything. It was kind of but um that element of um you know potential humiliation by the rest of the by the rest of the gang definitely helped it help uh, run a tight ship. I, I didn't have to do much except write the songs. And, and luckily I had people that were, um, you know, I had the respect from the the rest and, and yeah, it, I, the gang kind of helped me, helped me police it. That, yeah. That's incredible. I always think of switchblades and lipstick when I hear Joe. Wins. Yeah. I mean, we did, you know, we got, <laughs> We we started, you know, the starvations. I think started to become a parody of itself, and I really wanted, I really wanted to not um, have have us fall to the same fate, especially in the early days. But but yeah, I think. But at the same time, I we loved we loved uh, 
we wanted to kind of come across as a little campy and stuff, just just to be that much more, I guess, rebellious. I think everyone was taking themselves very seriously in LA around that time, and we wanted we wanted to be a threat, but we also wanted to be like kind of a, a gross a gross presence at the same time. And I think the, the sort of the sort of weird like backstreet. Um, uh, th- thing was <laughs> just gross enough for people, you know. Well, I loved it. It always seemed like an an answer to like the or a middle finger to the hoity-toity Silver Lake kind of type. Yeah. Oh, know? exactly. No, hundred percent. We were we were totally disgusted by the whole, um, I guess, blossoming psychedelic scene that was happening, and everyone wearing like their their scarves and stuff. Which is funny because now I'm now I'm friends with all those people just because the older when you get older you just don't care about stuff anymore and you realize you have a lot of common ground with people that you that you thought you had to rail against you know yeah yeah but but yeah that was it it yeah I was trying to trying to make everyone be like everyone like had to look really good and always you know we tried to wear suits and just be a total antithesis to that, to, you know, cause everyone, everyone, the bands were just looking like homeless people back then. Not that there's anything wrong with homeless people, but we, I just, I felt like it was time for some reactionary art, you know? Yeah. It was trust fun, homeless chic kind of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I was going to ask like, as far as the community or jail weddings was concerned and style and kind of like, you know, um, I don't know this this congeniality of even just the visual aspects, the looks, and did that all come together kind of uh, cohesively just by everyone's kind of antithetical-ness to that scene, or was there yeah. some like? Yeah, I, I think so. Like I, yeah, I just told everyone to look to you know. To I guess it was kind of in a way it was kind of our version of like being mods in a way. You know, because we were we were all kind of poor working class, but we wanted to be like this total, this total antithesis to the to the hippies, basically that were kind of overrunning Silver Lake at that time. So yeah, it was very, it was very much our own kind of skewed version of the whole mod sensation. I guess what's funny is that in in a sense though, it's it's kind of remained timeless. Like jail weddings seems to be a perennial kind of idea rather than it being stuck in some like, you know, kind of kitschy, um, yeah. you know? And so I, I was wondering if like, uh, you know, cause I, I get a lot of like the James Elroy kind of underbelly, um, LA noir kind of aspects to it. And, and as well as the Jack Parsons kind of, you know, like a cult, uh, Southern California feel. Was that ever right. deliberate? Or? Yeah. No. I mean, definitely the Jack Parsons thing. We were, you know, I don't know if you you noticed the back of Meltdown. We took our picture at um at the spot right by JPL where he used to do, where him and um, L. Ron Hubbard used to do all their black ma- magic rituals. Um, Devil's Devil's Gate, they call it. So that's like even way back to the native americans the native americans were convinced that that the mouth of that skull cave was was the portal to hell and yeah at the time i was i was reading sex and rockets and i was just really consumed by the by the whole um just the thought i guess the ambition of jack parsons and also the thought the realization you know it's something i always 
new in the back of my head, but the absolute proof that um, that warfare is a result of black magic. Totally, <laughs> you know, yeah. like rocketry, and that that was like a big. That was a big thing for me. It even comes down to, I guess, you know, just the the creation of art in a sense, you know, can, is always uh, kind of parlayed as the cornerstone of that manifestation process. And I was, yeah, I was wondering, exactly. like, what kind of energy was there when there was, you know, 15 of you guys kind of in this ritual creating this thing together? Um, really, really, it was a really giddy and really, um, just kind of teetering out of control, but very, very focused. I would say, I mean, there, we, we had a really, we had a really bad reputation around town. Like we would, we, you know, we would, we would go on blind dates and they would come, this happened two or three times. The girl would find out we were in jail weddings and she would hightail it the other direction. That's amazing. But so we would have this really, you know getting kicked out of clubs and here and there and and honestly i mean a lot of really great missed opportunities because of that i think there was this point where um the mars volta was going to take us on tour and i i think one of our band members unfortunately fucked that up but so we had this we had this sort of bad reputation and kind of to our to our detriment Uh, and but we were very focused i mean our our work ethic was very very focused we would practice three times a week and for four hours at a time and and the songs you know we had to because the songs were really really um the arrangements were yeah they're interesting i guess uh, uh <laughs> kind of deceptive and and they're they're you know brad and i the the sax player initially we were you know we were working kind of overtime to make sure that we were creating something unique so um yeah i would the we were we were living like a you know like a sunset strip band from the 80s but our our work ethic was very focused and yeah the group the group consciousness was very cohesive we um we were really kind of haunted by this thing we would call jail wedding synchronicity where just i mean the name the actual name came from this really wild instance of synchronicity where two of the band members hadn't met each other yet and they were at the same the same spot by the twin tower jail correctional facility downtown and they both took a picture of the storefront that said jail weddings we hadn't had a name yet and they one of them showed the picture and the other one laughed and said they took the same picture at the same time and and uh so i'm all like that's our name that's just fate but yeah we were riddled i think what happens you know like like burroughs talked about that thing called the third mind with with us there was definitely you know a, a tenth <laughs> a tenth or eleventh mind <laughs> yeah. happening you know yeah, yeah it was you guys um, kind of like created this folklore that ended up you know actualizing Uh, yeah. yeah, and and you know, oftentimes biting us in the ass too. Right, I, I, I have to say, yeah, it was it was very you know, it, at times it was very much like Jack Parsons getting blown up at, at his uh, <laughs> at his house in Pasadena because close uh, to the of an experiment. After many ex successful experiments, one, you know, many of them went went almost fatefully wrong. So, well, and that's, that I guess that's another aspect you can relate 
Yeah, but yeah, just uh, just a quick side note. Jail weddings is far from from over. There's uh, there's stuff in the works. Oh right? yeah, yeah. No, we yeah we um, we just finished recording, mixing our our new record, Blood Moon Blue. Yeah, we're just we're shopping it around right now. The <clears throat> we have kind of a unfortunate habit of being on labels that that end up uh, sinking <laughs> right after our records come out. So I hope that's not. Uh, you know, some weird curse we're responsible for. So yeah, we're kind of uh, we're kind of doing the lost puppy dog thing right now. But it's it's definitely the most um, probably the most ambitious record we've we've done so far. And the sound is is kind of opened open wide up too. So yeah, I'm pretty excited. Yeah. This here Pragmagic Podcast is brought to you by Portland, Oregon's Open Source Art Religion and Pragmagic Art Collective, We the Hallowed. For more information, please visit wethehallowed.org or support these fine, pious individuals at patreon.com slash wethehallowed. Remember, that's hallowed like saintly. H-A-L-L-O-W-E-D. Thank you. And kind of the recent uh, flip in your uh, folklore, which is uh, at first I thought your move to the desert and the focus uh, on solo, either music or you know uh, writing specifically, uh, was mm-hmm. was antithetical. And then I th- started thinking deeper, and it's like no, you went from kind of this. Uh, mythology of like the you know noir trash kind of LA thing and then you went deeper into the underbelly which is like the dark side of the moon of Hollywood which is the high desert and the urban sprawl oh yeah and the you know and the solidarity yeah so I, what, I what found informed? myself in a really oh yeah go on oh no I'm sorry uh, go ahead yeah I I found myself in a really a really kind of weird to put it in a sensationalistic sense. I, I found myself kind of getting consumed by the character my subconscious had created. You know what I mean? You know how everyone does that in the big city. Like they, they, um, they build an identity for themselves. Oh, totally. Right. Like it, whether you admit, admit it or not, it's just what people do, you know? And I think the, however you would describe my, uh, the identity I'd created for myself, you know, sort of not consciously, but sort of, you know, you, you react, you react to it's environmental. And I think you, you react to it and you sculpt this kind of personality for yourself as kind of a shield in a way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that, that character totally started to just completely consume me. And I, I was just turning into a very, um, just very bitter person that was just kind of, um, just giving dagger eyes to the youth coming up and just all this, <laughs> all this really unnecessary, um, sort of trappings that an, that an aging rocker might, might, uh, fall into. So I, I knew I had to get out of LA. I, I kept on thinking, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to die here and yeah. it's not going to be romantic. It's going to, it's the, the city is getting way too packed and, and I've become the sort of, <clears throat> um, 
unconsolable asshole and and I um I I better get out while I still have a self-awareness of that. And yeah, I was able I was able to move move out here with my with my lady at the time and and yeah, just kind of start over. And yeah, LA, the deserts become so popular you know, I, it's, it's sort of like, uh, of course, like, <laughs> like the, a year later after I moved out here, there's traffic, you know, it's, right. <laughs> it's definitely become LA, LA's backyard, which is, you know, I was really up in arms about at first, but you know, I take, I take kind of pride in that. And how many years that, have you been? That it's, it, uh, it's been three, three years and it's not, yeah, it's nothing what I expected. I mean, I, I think I thought it was going to be completely different, and every day it just surprises me. Were you, know? you hoping in, in, for it to be completely different, or like you know, a kind of yeah, I, w- I was, but I just the the challenges. Um, I guess since you don't have that shield, yeah, you don't have that shield of identity. Like everyone, if I held on to that identity out here, I think people would really see you right through it real quick. I mean, people one of the great things about the desert is like they could just see right through you out here. Oh, you know, yeah. everyone out here is very, very humble. And if you, if you put on any kind of act or, or any kind of front, they'll, they'll just pick you apart and you're, you'll be kind of branded. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm, f- I'm from, you know, New Mexico and Arizona. That's where I grew up. Yeah. So, you know, you know, the landscape at least it's, it's, um, yeah, I guess just the, the challenge, I guess I, I wasn't, um, the challenges of, of having to really like re-meet myself and just kind of realize that I was just, I'm still like the scared, <laughs> shy teenager that I, that I always was, you know, that's a big, that's a heavy, uh, that's a heavy load to swallow. <laughs> yeah. So would you consider this move to be kind of like the, the wilderness years of, you know, kind of soul searching, or do you think this is well, like I an tried, evolutionary? I tried, I mean, yeah, I thought, I guess that was the misconception. Like I thought I was going to move out here and I was going to focus on writing. And I thought I was going to be like, you know, start writing all naturalist, you know, positive, positive, uh, you know, nature boy stuff like Thoreau or something. Sure. Like I wanted, I wanted to really like, I, I needed to, I felt like I needed to harness as much positivity in nature as I could. And, and, um, you know, I wrote, I started writing, I wrote this thing called Cinema of Life, this chapbook, which kind of, it's a little bit of a naive looking, it, it didn't age well because it was a very naive take on the desert, on a newcomer to the desert. And um, This was uh, the high desert anti-tourist propaganda? Well, no, I, so it didn't, well, Cinema I mean, I of Life of it, didn't, yeah. yeah, Cinema of Life didn't age very well. And I was kind of, I was kind of embarrassed about it, like when it came out, I, like one of those things where I, I reread it after it came out and I'm all like, man, I sound like, you know, I think I said at that reading, like you I, did. I, I, I sound like all these, all these articles and these lifestyle magazines, just like beckoning people out to the desert. And that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant to do. <laughs> right. So John Paul from space cowboy and I, we kind of conjured up, we were drinking one night we, we kind of conjured up this plan to start writing um, high desert anti-tourist propaganda. And I, so I started writing nothing to see here. And, but man, I swear, just like 
life imitating art and vice versa. Right when I started writing it, I didn't even have to exaggerate much. Like my life started to get really, really, it's my house kind of really started to turn into a real domestic dystopia due mainly due to the isolation and the challenges that come with the desert and stuff. And I was going to ask, so the, yeah. Oh, sorry. That? I was going to ask, yeah, how much of the Connor and Luna story, like, bleeds over into nonfiction? Uh, I don't really... Mm, I kind of don't... I'd rather not say. Okay. I think, I, I think it's... Yeah, I mean... No, that's that's awesome. I, I got in a lot of trouble with with my lady for... She It was her first time dating a writer and she didn't I don't think she really grasped the concept of, of <laughs> fiction and, and write, writing as writing as a means of exorcism and all that which is really all I was doing I wasn't trying to expose any real life soap opera <clears throat> stuff I was just, I was I found myself in a really I found myself kind of without a voice <clears throat> and I, I this writing kind of turned into an emergency for me to just for my own mental health just to get through through the days and stuff but so i you know john paul and i started this kind of concept in jest and it turned it, i think it turned into um something way more real than i intended it to be it kind of once again it's like so so much stuff i do like ends up having like a careful what you wish for kind of kind of thing and that definitely that that um that sort of devious idea of writing anti-tourist propaganda was my own uh, <laughs> was my own crossover. Yeah, I can totally see that. You, it's uh, the way you talk about jail weddings and your writing so far just reminds me a lot of the uh, kind of uh, you know chaos magic processes behind like Grant Morrison and Alan Moore. How you know they their their art starts to imitate life rather than the. Or I'm sorry, their life starts to imitate their art, and they it's soon the you know the medium becomes so blurred that it's 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 like they can't help but just accidentally manifest shit when they put it to paper. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. No, hundred percent. I mean, you know what it is? It's like it's like falling in love, and and I guess the the creative process and falling in love is really similar because you know when you know when you fall in love with a gal. And, and, um, there's that moment, there's that like zing moment where, um, you feel like the, the present, the, you feel like the past, the present and the future is all colliding at once. Totally. Do you know what I mean? It's it's really specific. And, and I think, I think it really is. I think that really is happening. And I think it's interesting that when you do fall in love, you get this feeling of instant nostalgia. Oh yeah, I we talk you know about I mean? yeah with me and my uh, my girlfriend now we talk about it all the time. It's this kind of a pre like sorrow when we're together, knowing that you know the only thing we can equate it to is like oh there's going to be a time in the soon you know the near future where we're not together, and we, while we're to- yeah. together we are you know lurking within that. And it's hilarious. <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, okay. Um, so I think the same thing happens in, in the creative process. I think when you have that like epiphany moment, it's like um, you have that feeling like this has happened before. Yeah. Or, or something. Yeah. Or like you almost get this, like you almost get scared of what you just 
of what you just wrote or what you just sang or whatever, because it's, um, you feel this impending future and past colliding. Right. Okay. The Portuguese have, the Portuguese have a word for it. Do you know, do you know that word? Uh, uh, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know how to pronounce it. Or it's, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure you say Sadaj, but you know how it's spelled, right? Yes, I do, yeah. It's yeah. S-A-U. That's, that's like my favorite word on Earth. That's amazing. That's, it's, um, that's basically what it, what it describes. It describes um, just this longing for a place that may, may have never existed. Right. But I'm it's having... this very deep... Yeah, I'm having one of those moments right now because literally in the, you know, kind of the courtship between my girlfriend and I, we were looking for, we would constantly send each other like close definitions or terms for what we were feeling. And that word was the one we kind of settled on. We're like, that's the closest one for what we're feeling. It's one of the most powerful, powerful words out there and one of the, one of those words that contains endless paragraphs in one word you know it's like this finally there's a word that describes this indescribable feeling um and if you've ever heard um do you know fado music the portuguese like regional yeah i mean music? i know i know of it yeah it's it's all based on that feeling uh-huh. and you really feel it through through those songs yeah, that's 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 so funny. Yeah, that was definitely the word that kind of came closest to what we were experiencing, and I that's see, great. I see what you mean um, as far as the creative process is concerned. How do you translate that? Like, it seems to me that could be almost it's like accidental soothsaying to a degree of which when sure. you, you put something down and it's you know kind of and like your 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 stories do entail a lot of sordid kind of affairs within people's lives and you know like is that a, do you feel a kind of damning at the same time every time you kind of a little bit yeah uh, i mean i yeah cuz i i my you know i think and i think it's a positive thing but a lot of stuff i i write will scare the shit out of me cuz it's because of that feeling i think that feeling that feeling of of love or or um that epiphany within art is like it's that feeling of epiphany but also something bad or maybe not bad but something like heavy is about to happen where you where you where you like want to you want to surrender to the moment but you also have to feel like you have to like let it go your eyes start twitching <laughs> and you like want you have to like be on guard in a way i don't know it's, totally it's, it's strange but i but i think i don't know if you've ever been to therapy mm-hmm. but that's also what happens in therapy when you when you're talking to your therapist you'll have those moments of of epiphany like a breakthrough where you'll you'll feel this relief like like something got unlocked but then you'll feel very you'll feel like that much more naked as yeah. a result what happens to me like yeah is as, like if, I... as if the therapist took took a piece of your armor off like, you <laughs> right. know what i mean yeah and i think i there was a great quote um god was it in might have been in i was watching that strange angel Oh, I haven't seen it yet. I'm I'm excited. I think it might have been in that, but I heard this great quote where um, they say, like, 
and I'm totally paraphrasing, but um, love is so the lovers you meet in your life will 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 unlock tiny parts of yourself, but only one person will actually set you free. You know, so I think I think that's maybe part of the creative process process as well as just unlocking certain certain parts of yourself. I mean, essentially the the creative process is self love it's masturbatory you know what i mean sure, so yeah. you could you could kind of you could definitely kind of relate the two now are you a person that like you know with this uh your art or your output has been so affected by this major like shift in consciousness um from you know even just you know the group dynamics of a you know the gang band to a solitary writing existence do you feel that you need to shuffle that much to kind of revive um, new chapters? Um, what do you mean? Like, like, um, like, do you find it more beneficial with... to make a seismic shift every couple of years? It's never something I, I uh, premeditate. This, this has been the, the me moving to the desert. has been probably one of the, you know, a lot of people thought I was losing the plot a bit or like throwing a monkey wrench in, in my whole, my whole trip. But, but, um, no, my, my world is just completely opened up as a result. I mean, you know, like if I'm ever in a bad mood in my house, I just walk outside and I'm no longer in that bad mood. Um, in the city, in the city, I would walk outside and I would be in an even worse mood as a result. You know, right. so it's, yeah, I guess what I'm saying um, is, uh, cause it seems like, you know, uh, you've generated so much in those different facets. Do you feel that like you'd be, you're, you're a person that's looking for kind of a situation to last, or do you think that you're, uh, the type that would kind of benefit from big changes every few years or so I don't know. artistically I, think, I guess I think something like jail weddings like jail weddings never has to end right you know I don't see any reason why why it would end I could I could do whatever I want with it as long as I have a trusty group behind me that that are you know firing on all their cylinders totally. I think writing is something writing is something that you know would never would never end um i mean i think i think it's funny i was doing this this um interview the other day and they were, they asked me very basic questions like what do you what's your favorite thing about life <laughs> those what, are the hardest they said what what is your what is your thing you most dislike about life and then they asked me what i'm doing in the desert and i answered chasing divinity to all three questions nice so i yeah. think i think that that yeah it's funny how something like that like you know a, a concept like that could be your your favorite and least favorite you know most elusive thing at the same time like the the process of chasing divinity can be can be rewarding and elusive at the same time oh yeah to me it's just constant you know kind of spiritual death and rebirth you know every, yeah. every time a record comes out it feels like <laughs> it's kind of like release you know but um i wanted to ask as far as uh 
the uh, the writing is concerned, how uh, to get to the more pragmatic side of things? Do you have you found? Just walk me through like what a, a normal like writing session looks like to you. Like what time of day? Oh, like how? All, always, always the morning. Yeah. yeah. I think starting something when the sun is rising is 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 paramount. Um, yeah, like start in the morning, but I definitely don't have, you know, I, some days I'll write five pages. Some days I'll write five sentences. Some days I'll write one sentence and, and walk away. You know, it's, it, I don't, I definitely don't have a, a, a word discipline count. with it. Okay. Yeah. And I don't think, yeah, I'm not one of those people that thinks, you know, I know Nick Cave talks about clocking into his office for eight hours and, yeah. and, and writing. And I think if, you know, I just can never, I can never imagine doing that. Writing, writing is still about, still holds a large amount of rebellion for me. And just having, having that kind of having a, a schedule like that just is a, is a big turnoff for me. And I don't, I don't think, creative i don't think your creative reservoirs work work in that in that way right i don't, I don't think they they're come made when to they really come. work in that way yeah yeah it's like i think the creative process is totally um proof that time is non-linear and yeah i i would never dream of putting a clock on it but yeah there's there is those days where i realize i've been writing all day and i i feel really good about myself you know right yeah and is there but like a, it's it's not it's not something I flog myself if I if I don't do you know right and I think the thing about I liked about Nick Cave's process is that you know he mentioned that he spends most of the time dicking around but it's the fact that he you know gets out dicking of dicking around and, is so important it is That's yeah such a such an important aspect of that like yeah um, but the fact that know, he goes there and it's around for that eight hours you know so for when it grabs yeah. him yeah <clears throat> you have to dick around it's i mean as long as you stay off the internet and stuff you know but <laughs> right. you know it's i think but yeah the so oh, i can't remember what writer it was um some writer says you know a large part of her writing is just staring out the window and i thought thought that was really beautiful i wish i could remember who that was it was a famous female writer yeah sounds like virginia wolf kind of situation. but um yeah there's so much of writing has little to do with uh the actual writing of it and i i think that's that's not to be overlooked oh, well that brings me to a big question i have for you for someone that is like so uh fervent in many different mediums uh from music to writing like how is time management and you know discipline kind of how how do you um how do you continue the output the consistency and the like ferocity um you know is do you have um, any tactics as far as like these 3 months I'm focusing on this these next 3 months uh okay like every day every day I tell myself I have to do something today I have to do something today besides my you know my day job i have to i have to produce something today because it it's it's therapy for it's 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 for my own mental health like and i'll ask myself i'll ask myself often like what are you willing to do today and often what i'm willing to do i often exceed what i'm willing to do so i think that that's that's a good 
a good place to start. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I think about the rush I get when I, when I create something and, um, how it kind of keeps that rush kind of keeps that the darkness that ends up consuming a lot of creative people at bay. And I, that's kind of enough motivation for me. You know, it's not, it's not meeting goals necessarily, you know, I like, uh, two weeks ago, I thought I, I'm working on this novel right now. I thought I was going to finish it that day and I'm, I'm still working on it four weeks later, you know? So you can't, you set, sometimes if you set goals, especially with something as wily as writing, you, you kind of, uh, you put a cap on something that might be more, more wild than you, than you thought. Well, I was going to ask how, what, like the biggest differences you see from, you know, uh, getting people a book to getting people a record like what are what are the kind of the the biggest tactics you're finding the differences in promotion are you talking about like the the audience or the or the oh actual, yeah like how um, how you you get your writing in front of somebody as opposed to like how you would have you know um got your or somebody would listen to your record i feel like it's harder uh just from somebody like me who's a total novice you know skirting the world of this like it's it's harder to get somebody to to read than it would be to listen and that was even hard oh sure <laughs> it's a natural i think it's natural to have that be a harder commitment to people but it's also i mean it was interesting to me you know when i went up to portland last month like way more people came to my reading than than to my solo acoustic show so i thought that that was kind of oh, interesting weird. i think yeah. I think, um, I don't know. I think people like things that are new, you know, to put it on a, in a very base terms. And I think if you're, if you're showing that you can express yourself in more than one way, I think that that, that might be an appealing thing to people. And I think that they might be more willing to, um, spend time with, with something you've written rather than something that they could finish in two that makes minutes. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. What? So nothing, um, but nothing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. This is, it's also just a totally new world to me, but, um, well, you're killing it. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> you're killing well, it. These novelettes not... or the, you know, the chat books, uh, are just like, I don't know the perfect answer to a single, you know what I mean? Like you're kind of, you're, yeah. you're no, building really... up to a novel, which is really cool. I, I was really, um, you know, I, I'll be honest. I used to really kind of scoff at the chapbook thing back in the day before I started making them. I, I'm all like, oh, these are just like, you know, I had a horrible attitude towards them, you know? And, and, but after my first one, I'm all like, this is a very, this is a vital format. You know, I don't, I don't know why everyone isn't, isn't making these little things. It's, I think it's a way more permanent, like vital format than people give it credit for. I think maybe, maybe chat books get kind of lost in the whole zine zine world and stuff. But I think, I think for anyone who's struggling to, you know, get, get their foot into the publishing world, it's, it's a great calling card, you know? Yeah. I was going to say, um, it's, uh, so this, nothing to see here is the first of what three. Um, yeah, well, we kind of, it, it's the second, Right. That Cinema of Life book would would be the first. But 
so yeah, we were going to make a serialized novel and have it come out first in these chapbooks, but um, the the novel's getting so the story's getting so um, erratic and going in, into directions I didn't think it was going to go, and 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 it's getting a little. Um, John Paul kind of John Paul from Space Cowboy kind of made the executive decision with the third installment that he said that this wouldn't I don't think this would translate in a in a chapbook form and I totally agreed with him I'm, I was really thankful that he brought that up um it was yeah it was so we're we're I'm just I'm just trying to finish the fourth the fourth segment right now and then we're going to release it in in the you know, soft cover novel form and either next year or the um, year after that. Very cool. And that's, that's the big, I, I'm the big waiting. one you're working on. What's that? That's the big one you're working on, right? The, yeah. Well, this, this, this one, I have these twin novels that were supposed to come out in fall and I think they still might. I'm kind of going, I'm negotiating with another imprint right now, but um, I have these twin novels coming out that have, they've been, I've been working on them for, about 10 years now ones um and they're twin novels so they have to be kind of read together but they're going to be under the same spine um it's called virgins in reverse and the second one's called the intrusion <laughs> i like um, those together <laughs> virgins in reverse is 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 kind of a, a coming of age tale of um growing up in cd hollywood and then meeting this woman and then it uses the, I don't know if you know about the, the, uh, the emerald wasp and the cockroach. Have you heard of this weird kink of nature? So the, the emerald wasps, it's, it's this really beautiful green translucent female wasp and she hunts the cockroach and she, she, um, she stings, she stings as part of its brain that renders its, it's motor skills useless. And then she lays her eggs inside its abdomen and, and uses, uses its antennas to steer it back. Yeah. To, it basically turns yeah. it into a, a zombie cockroach. Like a puppet. Yeah. Yeah. And she uses it to, um, she steers it back to her nest and then she covers the nest up with rocks and basically waits for the cockroach to explode with wasp babies. So I'm I'm using that as kind of a kind of Barosian, um, sort of blueprint for a young couple domesticating too too early. That's brilliant. That's, that's um, and then the intrusion. It uses uh, kind of the same characters that have that have evolved or kind of de-evolved, and the intrusion is about kind of explores the correlations between spirit possession and alcoholic blackouts. Huh. And the 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 um the similarities are just super super staggering. I mean, I have a I have like a a chart when I do readings of it, and it's all basically the same symptoms. So the the two stories are are essentially connected, but I can't really tell you how until you until you read the book. So I I believe it's I believe it's still going to come out this year, but these have to come out first before before the desert novel comes out because there's 
those are also going to be kind of connected. It's it's strange. It's I wanted to, to ask, it. yeah, if you were creating even like there's some characters in like the solo record, you know, and like Death Country and stuff. I just see a lot of correlation between the mediums, even through fiction. And I was wondering, yeah, are you creating kind of a shared universe? I didn't realize I was until very recently. I'm right. So the the desert novel is um, loosely titled Lies of Heaven. And I didn't realize I was until just two days ago. I didn't realize that the, that they were all going to be connected until two days ago. Yeah, it's and it all had to do with just naming, <laughs> naming one person that that was eluding me. I didn't know what his name was, and I, I'm all like, oh fuck, this is this is way crazier than I thought it was going to be. And that's I think that's a really good sign when you don't quite know what you're doing when you when you know what you know what you're doing but then the the slightest the tiniest sleight of hand will just surprise the hell out of you you know yeah just kind of write itself after that yeah yeah that's amazing and then uh yeah uh thank you so much for speaking with me man i just wanted to uh close with one thing i'm trying to kind of navigate this podcast into less of a you know two uh, dudes talking about esoteric stuff and I want it to like you know kind of be more pragmatic as sort of a guinea pig as I kind of journey into you know figuring my shit out uh, creatively spiritually whatever and I was wondering if you had any uh, daily kind of tactic or process that um, you would give as advice to aspiring artists of any type of any caliber and maybe even something that I could employ for the next two weeks and report on, you know, in two weeks. Oh God. Um, I'd have to, I'd have to think about that one. I think, I mean, geez, I, <laughs> as a derail, as derailing as it sounds, I would, I would say just make as many mistakes as possible and, and just learn, learn all your lessons the hard way. You know, I think that's that, um, and I think you'll you'll be surprised with with uh, what you come up with, as long as you don't get carried away with that. But um, I guess just don't don't be afraid to make mistakes. Yeah. Well. Um, and try to I get, but try to keep your mistakes private. <laughs> keep, try try to keep your mistakes private so it looks pre, um, you know, like you meant to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. Yeah, because like when does that line blur between, you know, am I am I writing or am I releasing writing about myself or is it, you know, fictionalized? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. So is that really it's just about kind of staying mum on social media less? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I've I've kind of. I'm pretty, I'm pretty scarce on there and my life's gotten a lot, a lot more, um, illuminating as a result. I think, yeah, people, you know, people don't know have people don't have to know everything about you unless they, they ask, you know, and even then they don't, they don't really need to know. (laughs) I, yeah, I totally agree. And I feel the same about other people. So why shouldn't I feel the same about me? Exactly. Exactly. Well, Gabe, thanks so much, man. Uh, I will definitely include a little review of Nothing to See Here uh, in the article slash show notes. I love it. I love where it's going. It really speaks to me as a, you know, 
in the desert in my heart. So uh, great. Always been a huge fan, man. I really appreciate it, and uh, I will. Thank you, man. It's been been my pleasure. Yeah, we'll catch up soon to talk about that novel in in the fall. Yeah, and um, and yeah, I I might give you a call later to to um pick your brain about uh, Cactus Crown as well. It's been totally glued to my to my uh, car stereo. So. Oh man, I couldn't be happier. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I want to get some some quotes some quotes out of you about it. So. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, well, thanks, man. Quid pro quo. Um, what that? Say quid pro quo. <laughs> right back at you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. All right. Cheers. Have a good night. See ya. There you have it, folks. Mr. Gabriel Hart. You can buy Nothing to See Here, his new novelette we were discussing, at Space Cowboy Books. I believe the website is spacecowboybooks.blogspot.com. Please listen to all of his music. You can find that at jailweddings.bandcamp.com. Listen to his crazy 15-person-plus ensemble and street gang known as Jail Weddings. But also, listen to his collection of solo music post his incredible early band, The Starvations, which was a high school favorite of mine. Speaking of his solo work, at the end of this podcast, I'm going to be placing his track, Death Country, because I believe, well, it's extremely fitting, considering his protagonists in his new book, Connor and Luna, are uh, rollicking through the death country that is the high desert. I had the pleasure of reading with Gabe uh, a few months ago at Mother Foucault's Books here in Portland. It was my first public reading. Shaky, but uh, cherry has been popped, as they say, so I hope to do more more of those. Consider subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash wethehallowed for podcast extras, music... Uh, My new album as Dakota Slim, which Gabe also wrote a beautiful review about. I will include a link in the show notes for that. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. Here's Death Country from Mr. Gabriel Hart and The Fourth Wall. Share a little bit of my hair with me
cemetery shows to 